Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Start, we've been in our series looking at Ephesians, um, and I'm liking it. Um, we've got, I made a, uh, a PowerPoint, and it's a kind of Olympic looking one. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be honest with you that I've been spending lots of time um, looking at, at the Olympics. I've been looking at Ephesians. I like the Olympics, but I really like Ephesians. And um, yeah, so who's loving the Olympics? Quite a lot of people. Great, fantastic. And you know, the, uh, it, it, there's there's all kinds of preacher stories that will no doubt come out of this, and we can look for good YouTube clips and you know all that kind of stuff. But but for now, what I've been doing really is looking at actually realizing as I look through Ephesians that while the Olympics is great and it looks like it brings people together and nations together, ultimately there's only one who can bring the nations together. Amen. And that's Jesus Christ. And that's really what this passage is saying to us. That um, all these other things, you know, it's great to see a North Korean and South Korean standing together and doing a selfie. But, you know, that's not ultimately going to be the bridge, um, which is the cross. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. And um, I love to travel and, get, and to go to different countries and um, looking forward to, uh, in, in October, October is going to be a crazily stupid month for me and I get to go to America twice in, a, uh, in one month. Um, and in fact, the second time I go, I've just, I'm going to go to a place called Milwaukee, which I've just seen is in the news right now because there's all kinds of um, race battles going on and shootings in the street and all that kind of thing. So, um, you know, you can go to these places and... I always end up going to places and it always seems like a really nice place then you get there and it's right in the middle of something happening. <laughs> but um, and my other big problem, especially when you go to America, is they drive on the wrong side of the road. I, uh, I remember coming out of Willow Creek, which is a big church there, and uh, driving, I came out and I turned right, I'm driving down the road and then suddenly I saw all these idiots. <laughs> a whole row of them coming towards me and I was like, what are they doing? They're all on the wrong side of the... Oh, no! And I actually had to bump over the central reservation and get on my side of the road because, you know, it wasn't really them, it was me. Uh, that's why I'm praying one day I get to speak in Australia because there they drive on the correct side of the road. You notice it's the correct, not the right. <laughs> side of the road and why is that I'll tell you why that's because friends of mine who live in Australia say Australia is actually very like England but warm why and it's because hundreds of years ago we sent loads of English people there didn't we and um, as well as kind of some prisoners and people like that that we sent over we also um, sent over lots of our culture um, that's why, even though it's separated by all that distance, it's on completely the other side of the world, 
We sent over all this culture, so they like cricket and they drink tea. And um, they have all these different customs and practices that are very like us. That's because we exported something of our culture. Britain did that. And actually Britain probably did that more than any other nation. And sometimes that's been good. It's, it's good if you're adding clinics. It's good if you're helping with education. But if you start to exploit the place, if you start to take the resources out for yourself and you don't put anything back into it, and if you start to make yourself feel superior and the people there feel inferior, then that isn't good. That's, there's a word for that. Anybody know what the word is? Colonialism is the word. Colonialism, and actually it isn't just nations and governments that do it. At times the church has been guilty of a colonial spirit. That's when we take what we like and the things that we do and the way we do things in church, like for instance in, in England and how it's done, and we export it to somewhere else and we say this is how God likes it. This is how, you know, if you're going to please God, you have to do it all like this when it's nothing to do with the Bible. It's like the first time I went to Kenya. Well, I've only been, well, not been a couple of times. But I was there and I met this bishop and all these different people and they had all of these things all arranged, bishop, archdeacon, all these different people and they all wore different robes and we all had to kind of, it, it, and it was just like, and it was boiling hot. And you're in these big sweaty robes. And I'm thinking, I don't think Jesus cares about the robes. You know? But, and, the, and, the, we, and I went into one service and they're reading the 1662 prayer book, communion stuff. And, you know, not even I understand that. And it's like, why are we exporting that? Why are we saying that that's what matters? And, that's what, and the church of Jesus Christ is not meant to import our culture, but there is a culture that we're meant to export. And that is the culture of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. That is so that God's, God's way of doing things transforms one life at a time and, and transforms communities so that the places where God sends us, our cities, end up looking less and less like hell and more and more like heaven. And we've talked a lot already in this short series about heaven touching earth. Last Sunday evening, we, we showed a video about what, what that kingdom of heaven looks like. But the reason I pray for ivy to grow, the reason ivy is growing and spreading and planting and reaching out into new places is not to build an empire, it's to extend the kingdom. Yeah. It's because we take really seriously the idea that Jesus said, go into all the earth and make disciples of all kinds of people, make disciples and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded and you know, baptize them and it's like in his name, not in the name of Ivy, but in the name of Jesus Christ that we do these things. And we take seriously the idea that the church exists to transform Manchester and the United Kingdom and Europe and the world. That's what we're about here and we are here, we wanna be here to equip the saints for their work of ministry, wherever that is. And it's not just about Sundays. It's as a result of what we do through the arts. The arts should be better. Business should be better. Education should be better. Health systems should be better. Um, people who are sick should be visited and should expect to be healed. 
as a result of the church going. Uh, the poor should be clothed and given hope. All these things should happen because the church has come, because it's the body of Christ. And if, the, if Christ was there, you'd expect that, wouldn't you? If, if Jesus turned up, you would expect to see those things. And now Jesus says, you turn up. You represent me. If people see us coming together, they should be seeing him coming. If people hear us speaking together, they should be hearing him. That's what it should be about. So our society should be kinder. Our crime rate should be reducing because of the church. Men and women in Manchester should be blessed by surprising acts of generosity because of the church. Strangers to our city should be welcomed and celebrated and helped to find a home because of the church. Because it's meant to be transformational. That's why we're here. And if we're not, if the church is not transformational, it is not the church. If it isn't changing anything, it's not the church of Jesus Christ. Because the church is meant to be the body of Christ. I love how diverse IV is. I looked around this morning, I was in the, I was in the cinema, I looked around and I saw so many different people, so many different backgrounds, so many nations, ethnicities. People who come to our church often remark upon that and that's fantastic and, it, and it's kind of over you know, recent years got more and more like that and I love it. And one of the things that, it's just one of the things that actually should mark it out as being a little picture of the kingdom of heaven. One of our values here is everyone's invited. We want to have great, big, wide open doors where everybody knows you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. And there's too many walls. You've ever thought about one of the fact that one of the, the greatest wonders of the world is a structure of separation. The Great Wall of China stretches for over 13,000 miles and it separates this side from that side. People have often been wall builders. It's not just Donald Trump trying to keep Mexico out. Most of our walls are a bit more subtle than that. Walls of people I prefer to other people. My type of people as opposed to not my type of people. And, and yeah, racial walls and socio-political walls and economic walls. And again, the, the tragedy is, perhaps more than any other institution, the church has often been terrible at this. I remember years ago hearing a talk from a guy who came from one of the black majority churches when I was then leading an Anglican church and he kind of talked about the history of, of the church that he'd been in. And he'd, he, him, he'd come over in the 1950s and had... As an Anglican, I'm not, this isn't about Anglicans, this is just, the, yeah, I happen to be one, this is what was going on. He came along to various churches, and I think he was from Jamaica originally, and he just wanted to worship, and he came along to the churches there, and he just found literally doors were being slammed in his face. He was not welcome when he came to the churches. People wouldn't speak to him, people turned their backs on him, people were rude to him. I can't, I was, oh. he said, so you know what we did? We went and we formed our own churches. What a tragedy that is. And I know there are lots of 
inspiring stories. I know that there's people, always been people who are trying to act and think differently. And through the history, you can point to people like Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer who, who in, you know, stood against Nazi Germany at great cost or Desmond Tutu in South Africa and uh, Billy Graham personally went and removed a cordon in Atlanta that was put up by some people to separate blacks and whites. And he went and he said, like, I'm not having that. Removed it ahead of his time in those days. And those are good stories, but there's just not enough of them. Because when the Apostle Paul saw a glimpse of heaven, when he looked up to heaven, he said this, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's what heaven looked like. He didn't see a homogenous heaven with one type of person. He didn't see different segregated sections for people to be in. He saw one united community being formed from everyone. He saw everyone becoming one. Everyone becoming one. That's heaven's dream. What do you think it meant? It means so much, but one of the things, I mean, when you read what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter six, he says this, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's got to include this. Surely it's got to include this. Surely it's got to include how we treat people of different backgrounds and races and cultures and languages and colours. So if we see it in heaven, the idea is we should in some way Expect to see it, or at least try and mimic it here on the earth. And one practical application that we're trying to make here at Ivy, I'd like us to make, and I, I, we did a video about this, which was shown at Kingsway this morning, and we're going to put it on the Facebook page, is this uh, 100 homes idea. I put out the challenge this morning on the video, and we're going to put it on the Facebook page. It's for people to be able to go on and say, um, I will host somebody who I don't know, a stranger, perhaps somebody, if I go to one congregation, somebody goes to a different congregation. You know, if, if, if you sign up for this and they send you somebody and you're like, oh, I know that person, they're in my house group, or I've known them for years or whatever, don't have that person. This is an opportunity for us to, to meet people who are not like us and to be able to welcome them into our homes and to be hospitable and to give them the very best and to really host them and be hospitable. If necessary, Go and help them and collect them and bring them to your home and be super hospitable and give them the very best and then listen to them and ask them their story and maybe at the end of that they'll ask you yours but you get to share that evening and share a meal and share life with that person and perhaps you pray with them. And this 100 Homes idea came to me as I was preparing this talk and reading Ephesians 2. It just popped into my head. Would you be one of the 100 Homes? See, if you have hundreds and hundreds of people coming at Ivy, you could think, well, there'll be loads of people who do that. I'm just not so sure people will get around to doing it. I said on the video, do you know what the most dangerous item of furniture in your house is? It's your settee. Where you sit and flick the TV over and over and look at how bad the world is, sometimes even pray about it. But the most dangerous item of furniture to the devil in your house is your table, the place where you have dinner, or because we're northern, tea. <laughs> and you could have somebody around. And when we do that, it's like these walls come down. 
But it's easier just to not bother. I know, because I find it easy to not bother. I wonder if you'll be one of the people who take up the challenge and say, yeah, I'll have somebody around. And if so, what you're going to do is go on there. You need to write it down, because I can't remember it. creative.ivychurch.org forward slash 100 homes. There's a form there. It's dead easy. You can fill it in and basically say, yes, here's me. This is who I am. I'd like to host somebody. Or... If you're really cheeky, you can just put on, I'd like to go and eat somewhere, please. <laughs> and that's fine. That's what it's about. It's, it, it, that's, that's all right, too. To be, and, you know, because we need people who are going to cook and we need some people who are going to eat. Yeah? I might even go for the second one myself quite a bit. <laughs> so, but it's, you know, and it could get one, it could be a, a few people, not too many, because you don't want like a big dinner party where everybody gets to talk, but nobody really gets to talk. We want it to be the kind of thing where people do get to, to really meet one another. Hands up, you might be up for that. Good, brilliant. All right, well, take a note, write it down, go on the website, check out our Facebook page. We're going to be putting the video on it, I'll put it on there as well, but don't just miss the moment. I think it's going to be amazing. Maybe it'll be somebody who comes, and you just, I love it when you find out the story of somebody, and you find out they've come, you know, something about their, their background and their history. We had an amazing meal in the week with a lovely couple, and just found out so much. This uh, lady had a tremendously interesting husband. I'm not saying she wasn't interesting herself, <laughs> but there's just so many stories. It was amazing. Maybe it's somebody from a different part of the city or whatever, yeah? So... Everybody starts with somebody. You can't just love everybody. It's impossible. You've got to start with somebody. You can't just welcome everybody if you won't welcome somebody. So will you welcome somebody? Everybody can welcome somebody. So, 100 homes. It's not hard, but please sign up. And I, was, I was thinking about the ways that Jesus used to transform people. And yeah, we've got a couple of sermons and stuff like that, but most of the time he didn't do that. It's unusual because they wrote them down and took a note of them, it seems. What did he do? He had meals with people. He got, he got in trouble for it. People called him. So he seems to like the wine and the, the food a little bit too much. Didn't they? That's what they said. He was always doing that. He was, and you know how many of his miracles took place when he was reclining at the table, and people were coming into those parties, and Jesus was doing that all the time. He's the kind of person that he was, or you know, he was just relational. We talk about Christianity being a relationship, and then we make it into a religion, but it's supposed to be a relational thing where you know he's walking along and he's talking with his disciples, and he says, "Oh, let's uh, let's go up the hill. Well, let's go up the hill. Let's." Go over there. Let's. I'll walk on the water. It's easy, you know. But they're following him, and as they follow him, they're being transformed, and the kingdom of heaven is starting to come to earth, and heaven is going to be full. You know that? Heaven's going to be full. Heaven's going to be full of every tribe and tongue, every nation, every social grouping, every language group. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter two. So I finally got there. I read um, it from the, another version earlier, but this is it from the message. Because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. 
The Messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being. A fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace. And that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he's building. Now it says there, something that Jesus did was that he got us to the cross, got us to embrace. Stand up. In some churches, they do the peace and things like that, where you politely shake hands. You can do that if you want. You can touch elbows if you're not sure. But if you want to, the cross says that we can embrace. So you could give somebody a hug. See, we sing a lot about love, but do we love one another? We, we sing about it. We, do we know one another? Do we get to know one another? We need to get to know one another. I'm amazed how people can come to church and sing about loving one another and then just go out without even having talked to the person sitting next to them. Ouch. You know, what would it look like if during the next month or so, a hundred homes here opened up and just said, you know, come round, let's get to know you. Somebody from a different life stage, different family setting, different race, maybe they'll invite you back to theirs and they might be better at cooking than you. <laughs> and uh, it'd be really good. What if we were radically intentional about tearing down walls by being really hospitable to each other? I think, you know what would happen? I think that would open up all kinds of blessings from heaven. I think it would. I think it's a heavenly kind of thing to do. It's a kingdom of God thing to do. And I know some of you already do this kind of thing and you're way better than me at this and you excel in all things. If that's you, great. I want to encourage you, do it even more in the next few weeks. You can lead the way for the rest of us. But I know I need to get better at this. And as we open up our homes, walls come tumbling down. So the Apostle Paul talks about a dividing wall of hostility in the reading. And then he describes God's dream that we will stand together as one new man, one new humanity. And the reason and the way that we can do that is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Follow along as I read verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what the cross does. You who once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, when Paul talks about that wall that's been dismantled, the dividing wall of hostility, he's actually talking about a real wall there. In the temple, there was a physical barrier. There was a low middle wall. It didn't go very high, but there was like this separating barrier that the, the, it kept the Gentiles out kept them in the court of the Gentiles. They couldn't go in to where the Jews were into the next section. This wall was known as the Soreg. It was a partition and it prohibited Gentiles from entering into the Jewish section of the temple. See, in the temple, there were four courts and they were all separated by some kind of wall. The outermost court was the court of the Gentiles, people like me, non-Jewish people. Then moving inwards from that, there was the court of the women, After that, there was the court of the Israelites, which were the men. And then there was the court of the priests. And then after that, there was a huge curtain that separated off the Holy of Holies. And that could only be entered by certain priests, high priests at certain times. Why would he call it the wall of hostility? Well, around the Soreg were 10 gates. But over each of them were signs like this in a number of languages that warned non-Jews against entering the the area of the temple. They couldn't go through. This one actually says, no outsider shall enter the protective enclosure around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will only have himself to blame for the ensuing death. Does that sound like a wall of hostility to anybody? (laughs) Only Jews allowed. The way the Bible saw it, Since God came to an Iraqi by the name of Abraham and from a holy miracle birth formed a new nation of Hebrews, there were only two types of people, Jews and Gentiles. So even if somebody from whatever other nation heard about the God of Israel and decided, yeah, I want to follow him and became what were known as God-fearers, praying, observing various rituals, abstaining from certain foods, even getting baptised, etc. Because they wanted to live like a Jew, they weren't. So, the wall would keep them out. They couldn't go in to the temple. And they would know. They'd get to a certain point and then, there it is. I know my place and my place is not beyond here. I couldn't go through those gates. If I went through those gates, I would pollute it. You might remember the time in Acts when they accused Paul of bringing some non-Jews into the temple. It caused a riot because he, he actually hadn't done it. Anyway, long story, I won't go into it. Now, Paul is a Jew and he's writing to who? The Ephesians, who are Greeks, who are Gentiles. People from all over this busy cosmopolitan city. Paul writes to them and he says, I'm writing to you who were once far away. God chose the Jewish people, gave them a covenant, gave them ways to be able to come close to him. They were meant to go from there and be a light to the Gentiles, as it says in Isaiah. They were meant to go and spread the love, the message of God all over the world, but instead they built walls. It's a very human, natural tendency to do, which kept us excluded. But then just at the right time, while we were still sinners, God sent his son, Jesus, and he died on a cross for us. And you know, you probably know, that when he died on the cross, something happened to the the temple in the curtain, and it was torn in two, 
completely from top to bottom, it says. God just went, because then there's no barrier to get into the Holy of Holies. But not only that, Paul said, he didn't just do that because that would have been great if you were a Jew. But he says, not just for that, but for us, Jesus also removed the wall. Is that good news? It is for me, because I'm not a Jew. But the good news is, there's no wall. He kicked the wall. The wall's gone. He's, he's made a way. Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the way. He's the way for me. He's the way for you. Jesus destroyed the barrier. He tore down the wall so everyone can be one and worship together. That's why it says, he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one. Say one. one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That's why it's such a tragedy that can happen in a nation. It can happen even worse in, when it happens in the church when we rebuild a wall that Jesus died to tear down. Does anybody else think that our world has already got enough xenophobia, hatred, racism and division? So if you ever find yourself carrying a brick that would rebuild a dividing wall, drop it. Drop it. Ask God to help you to drop it. Or stop saying you belong to Jesus. We're living in unprecedented times of opportunity, by the way, at the moment. Opportunities to demonstrate radical, generous love because of the acceleration of migration from so many places in the area that used to be called the 1040 window. And the people and the places that we used to pray for and try to send missionaries to, but it was probably too dangerous for them to go to, are now flooding to us. And they are desperate for good news. Hungry for good news. But more Muslims will end up going back, Muslims one day, more refugees, because church people stayed on the sofa rather than opening up our homes, rather than sharing our tables, rather than going all out to show the love of Christ as he's commanded us to, while we've got the opportunities to, to go, he told us, go and care for the alien and the stranger and the widow and the orphan. Martin Luther King Jr. said that the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And I thought we were better than that. But then I looked this week at the statistics on the church in our country, and I was a bit shocked, to be honest with you. According to the latest census, 83% of churchgoers in the UK are white. Over half, 54% of congregations in Britain are all white. That's over 20,000 churches that only have white people in. And half of the ones that say they have some non-whites, and tick the box for that, usually when they were asked, turned out to have a very, very small percentage. Over 1,000 congregations are entirely African, Caribbean, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, Iranian, Tamil, or other nationalities. And like I said before, I don't really blame them. 
if they've been treated like that in the past, I blame me, I blame the white guy. If we've been putting up dividing walls, how many, how many bricks have we put on that wall? How many, how many times have I been part of doing that? Just think how sad those statistics are. Right now, in this country, the norm is, if you go to church, it will be an all-white church. Unless you're black, when you might go to a black church, or unless you are Asian, in which you go to a particular church. Or, and I don't, think, I don't think we should just be okay with that. Obviously, people make the choices, and it's up to them, but I don't think we should be okay with dividing walls. When we drive around the city and you see a sign and you go, oh, that's the Chinese church and that's the black church and that's the white church or whatever. It's great if people are doing that and they're reaching them in their own ways but ultimately, when we get to heaven, there isn't going to be those kind of churches. There's only going to be one church of Jesus Christ. There's only going to be one. Jesus says, there's only one church. I shed my blood on the cross to demolish the dividing wall. Ephesians says, when the world looks at the church, it's meant to show them a picture of Jesus. And they should see a saviour who loves everybody. A saviour who reconciles. A saviour who brings enemies and makes them friends. A wall destroyer. A unifier. That's what was going on at Calvary. So in verse 15, Paul says this. His purpose. This is what Jesus came to do. His purpose just imagine Jesus going to the cross and they're spitting on him and they're mocking him and they've whipped him and they've flogged him and they've kicked him and they're laughing at him and um, everything and he's holding a purpose in mind what was the purpose? now we, we individualise this very often and think it was to save me and it was but it wasn't just that yeah yeah and here it is his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Let's get technical for a minute because what Paul writes here is actually really interesting. If you check out what it meant in the Greek language he wrote to them, I don't usually go into all the Greek stuff, but I found this and thought it was really interesting. We just have one, new, one word for new, don't we? New. For the Greeks, there are at least two main words, neos and Kainos. Neos would be the word that you use new in relation to time, like the latest thing, the new thing. So the new iPhone 9 or whatever that just came out, or the new model Nissan that just came out, or the, the, you know, the RAF just acquired a new fighter jet or whatever. It's something like that. Neos. Paul doesn't use the word neos. He uses the word kainos here, which speaks of something brand new that has never been seen before. Completely new invention. Not new in time, new in type. So if neos is the latest Nissan Qashqai, new model, kainos is the first car ever invented by Carl Benz. Neos is the new iPhone. Kainos is Alexander Graham Bell speaking on the first phone, saying, Mr. Watson, I want to see you. Which is the first words that were said over the phone. Neos is the latest jet the RAF got. Kainos is the Wright brothers taking off at Kitty Hawk. It's a whole new thing. 
that's what, that's what Jesus was coming to do. On the cross, he was making a brand new thing. You're part of that. If you're a Christian, if you are in Christ, you belong to that. Isn't that amazing? You're a whole new thing walking around on the earth. A whole new kind of humanity. And the old distinctions don't apply anymore. We don't, we don't even categorize ourselves by those categories anymore. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. Christian community is not an ideal we have to create, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. He does it. And we may participate. Are you participating? Are you joining in with what he's done? Are you a part of it yet? On the cross, Jesus was creating something that we can be a part of. Something that through his love, through his sacrifice, through his obedience, there was never a possibility of it being there before. But now there's a new possibility. A world without walls. A church without walls. That's what he was dreaming of on the cross. Jews wouldn't have a Gentile in their home because it would defile their home. They wouldn't enter the home of a Gentile. You know that from, if you read in Acts, when all that stuff about Peter being into a house and should I go and shouldn't I go. Paul looked at Ephesus and what did he see? He saw these Greeks and Jews and all kinds of different people coming together, sharing life, sharing meals, a new kind of humanity, a new community. And he thought, wow, that's beautiful. That looks like heaven's coming to earth. The trajectory of the church in the nation has to change. And I want us to say, let it start with me. Let it start with me. I believe by God's grace, Ivy is called to be a church that books the trend in all kinds of ways. Because we talk about this being a place where all things are possible because nobody's perfect, but everyone's invited. The churches Ivy will plant in the future will be gospel-centered, disciple-making, technicolor churches led by people with leadership gifts regardless of sex, regardless of anything other than called by God to equip the saints for the work of ministry. As it is in heaven, let it be on the earth. As it is in heaven, let it be on the earth. As it is in heaven... Let it be here on the earth where we are. How do we get that? How do we get to be a diverse church? You've heard the phrase diverse church. Oh, we want to be a diverse church. Or, you know, people talk about having diverse church. The problem is I've encountered lots of supposedly diverse churches and they all seem to be very much the same. Because the epicenter of them is diversity. We don't aim at diversity. How do you put together a diverse church? How do you build a diverse church? Here is how we do it. We preach the same gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. That's how you do it. You make the cross the center. How do diverse people, very different people come together? Paul tells us only through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Then why don't you read this out loud with me, verse 16. Ready? And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He breaks down all those walls by breaking down the walls in our hearts at the cross. When I've been loved like that, when I've been accepted so radically, 
It's got to do something inside of here. So when I've been forgiven, when I've been treated like that so kindly, at the cross, you see horizontal reconciliation. When I come to the cross, I look around and I just see all kinds of other people who are messed up like me and we become brothers and sisters in Christ. Regardless of where we're from, we're one body, one family. How did that happen? Well, he said it before in verses 1 to 10. Lynn talked about that this morning. It's only by grace. It's only by the mercy of God that we get that horizontal and the vertical reconciliation that comes with God. True diversity is found at the cross. Because all around the cross were Jewish sinners, Roman sinners, and visiting sinners. All looking at the cross and seeing the one saviour for all. So that's why Paul says we've got to preach the cross. Preaching the gospel brings it together. That's how you grow a diverse church. We preach Christ crucified. Paul told the Corinthians, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Jews so it's foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The cross bridges every divide. It's wide enough to do that. His blood washes away every sin. His gospel kicks down every wall. Jesus brings people back together. When you know you've been loved, when the gospel grabs your heart, it says, make love your aim. Personal story. I've probably told this before. I'm not proud of it. I was pretty much brought up a racist. In all kinds of ways. I had... uh, Strong preferences. Join the police. Those were ingrained within me. Um, and I pretty much stayed like that. Even when I became a Christian for quite some time. I might have wanted to change in various ways. I think I tried to change. There were little changes. But it was one time, I can remember where it was. I was in a, in a service in uh, St. John's College, Nottingham, when I was training for ministry and uh, I was worshipping next to a guy called Santos who's become a friend of mine from Uganda both worshipping the same God together I looked across at him and that verse came to mind actually for me when it says this how can I claim to have the love of God who I can't see and hate my brother who I can and it was like just you need to it was just the Lord coming and, and in his love confronting me and pointing stuff out in me that was you know I, I was I could get away with it, you wouldn't have thought, he wouldn't have come up to me and gone, oh, he's a racist or whatever. I didn't even know until sometimes it's these kind of things. It's only God, God puts his heart on you, his hand on your heart, and God points something out. You know, if anybody else had come up to me, I would have said, oh, no, I'm not, and this, I'm that, and all that. But in that moment, conviction from the Holy Spirit came. And that's very different to condemnation. Because conviction comes and says, you don't have to think like that anymore. You don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to be like that anymore. You can be a whole new humanity. And I was like, in bits. I didn't go to lectures Mm -hmm. that morning. I stayed in the chapel. 
I just asked God to deal with my heart and I believe I came away from that a whole different person. Thank you, Lord. Maybe some of us, we've got preferences. You're not, you'll be able to change yourself in that, but you can invite the Holy Spirit to come and do that surgery and to change our hearts. The cross brings us together. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you, you can come and talk to me about that. I'll pray with you and I'll give you a book to explain it. But for now, should we stand? If you're able to stand. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you came for messed up people like us. And in your great love, you didn't see us as different races, different colours, different backgrounds. You just saw people that you love, that you were willing to go to a cross for, shed your blood for. Oh, thank you that that's what you saw when you saw me. Despite the, the jokes I'd told, the things I'd said, things that were hidden away in my heart, but Lord, you came with mercy. You came with grace and you came with a new heart. And Lord, every day I want to keep on trading the old heart for the new. Every day I ask you to recreate me and make me more like you. Thank you, Lord. I just invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you. Right now, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you want to knock down any wall. Could be a, it could, might, might not be about a race thing. It could just be a person. could be somebody. The Lord's saying to you, you're not going to be able to get much further with this journey until you ask me to remove that wall. The way you do that is by forgiveness. It doesn't mean that what they did was right. It just means you're not going to let them hold it over you any longer and you're just going to give it to him. Is there somebody you need to forgive? The Lord's been pointing out a wall that you've put between you and one other person. He says it's better before you worship. You go and sort that thing out before you come and worship. Thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord. Send your spirit, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You can do this. I remember uh, years ago, I got the privilege of getting to go to India. And um, just in the weeks ahead of it, God gave me such a love for Indian people. Just like, it just dropped it into my heart. I literally, I found it difficult not to just go and hug Indian people in the street when I saw them I just just a supernatural love Lord That's, I just think it's a picture of what you're like for us if we don't want it we can't make anything like that happen but we open up our hearts to you Lord help me to love people 1 Corinthians 14 1 says make love your aim let's aim at love aim at love just loving people loving them as they are Thank you, Jesus. May you love your goal. Make it your prize. This week, Lord, help us to 
just love with the love that overflows and the love we've received from you. I'm not going to rush into this. I just want to pray for the Holy Spirit to keep coming. And Maybe you're feeling something, maybe you're not, but I believe he is just coming and, and all around this place. He's touching our hearts. He's doing work in us. He's, he's changing us from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, for destroying the walls. Help us, Lord. Just be careful not to rebuild them. With the things that we think, the things that we say, the things we allow, the things we permit to go unchallenged around us. Lord, help us, help me to be the, the first to cross the room to welcome a stranger. Thank you, Lord, because of the welcome we've received from you. I want to love more like you, Lord. I want to be more like you. Thank you, Jesus. And that just comes from receiving from you. We can never give what we've not received. You might have um, experienced rejection. Even in these moments, I pray the Holy Spirit would come and just supernaturally be stripping off you, taking off you, there was words, attitudes, wounds that have marked you with his love and his grace. Let them come. You're, you're a new humanity. You're a new kind of person walking around the earth. You represent Jesus. You look like Jesus to people. Do you know that? You get to, you get to represent him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I look like you. I want to look more like you. Some people, that it's true, that thing that you're the only Jesus they're going to see. Until they see him. Lord, we want to be people who point to you with our lives, with our love. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.